Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, y'all? It's J.D. Piquel. Are you not entertained? College football week one is just about behind us. We got some action tonight and then some more action tomorrow night because college football is the gift that keeps on giving. We're going to talk about Saturday's action. Again, this is the hard count, the people show for every single thing that you know and that you love about college football. It happens here on a daily basis. Nick Brake doing the heavy lifting. You are the lifeblood of this operation. You can help drive the show by subscribing to the channel. We got a whole lot to get into tonight. College football week one did a lot of things, but disappoint was not one of them. Georgia and Oregon played a neutral site game. I put neutral in air quotes very obviously because one team uh, drove an hour and a half and the other jumped on a plane. So you tell me which one was at the disadvantage. Regardless, I don't think it matters where they played this game because Georgia absolutely body bagged Oregon. We're going to get into that. Also got to talk about Florida and Utah, an absolute classic in the swamp. Anthony Richardson put on his cape and absolutely put his team on his back and just wheeled Florida to that victory. Had some crucial plays by the defense. Obviously, the defense ended up winning that game with the game-winning interception, so that was enormous. Got to talk about that. Also got to talk about Arkansas and Cincinnati. Sam Pittman talking about who's bringing what to the party. Is it liquor? Is it iced tea? Got to unpack that one as Arkansas finds a way to win in a tough one at home. And then Ohio State and Notre Dame. Speaking of winning a tough game at home, Notre Dame came in and threw haymakers. Gave Ohio State just about all that they could handle. And I think we learned a lot about both teams there, but appreciate you being with us. Follow me on Twitter at JD Piquel. Follow me on Instagram at JD Piquel. We were just firing off the tweets yesterday. I mean, there was so much content coming from our side over here on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, our pages on three recruits and on three on Twitter. We're also dealing out content. So go follow all those pages today with every single thing that we're doing here. I don't know if you can tell, but I am juiced up. Yesterday was an elite day of college football, and there was a lot of ripple effects that we're going to feel throughout the rest of the season based on what happened yesterday. Now, I'd be remiss if we didn't at least touch on this. Uh, The college football playoff is going to expand to 12 teams. I'm not going to say a lot on this. This is not going to be a segment that we clip for individual videos on YouTube, but oh, food for thought. Notre Dame and Ohio State went toe-to-toe, right? We're going to talk about that game later in the show. Great game. Both teams going back and forth. And ultimately, Ohio State's on the ropes at half, and you're saying, oh boy, Notre Dame might get them. Notre Dame might end up pulling this thing off. Imagine for a second Notre Dame does pull that off. Imagine Notre Dame does win that game. Ohio State's playoff chances are way up in the air. And we're talking about, oh, they got to run the table the rest of the way. We'll see what happens. 
We'll see. What, I mean, they got to be perfect the rest of the way. It's probably going to come down to that game against Michigan. In a 12-team playoff, you're saying, ah, it's okay. That'll hurt their seeding a little bit maybe, but Ohio State's going to make the playoff. Even if they lost another game, they're still in the playoff. I'm not saying anything more than what I just said. <laughs> I'm not going to talk any more about the college football playoff, but just sit with that scenario for a second. With all that being said, we got to talk about Nebraska. And I hate that we got to talk about Nebraska because they played North Dakota, not the Bison, not North Dakota State, North Dakota. And North Dakota came to Lincoln and gave Nebraska just about all they could handle, and then some. I mean, at one point in the game, it was tied at seven at half. Uh, it was tied at 17 late in the third quarter. Eventually, Nebraska sort of pulled away, caught their mojo, and I think the roster talent ultimately won out for Scott Frost in that program and won the game 38-17. to 17. But that final score is deceiving. The same issues that we saw in Ireland for Nebraska against Northwestern persisted against lesser competition, no knock on North Dakota, in this game. I mean, Nebraska's defensive front got pushed around. I mean, I think it was around 100 yards. Yeah, 175 yards on the ground is what they gave up. You can't give up 175 yards to anybody and feel good about your chances winning that football game. Now, again, they got some more production from the offense that ultimately kind of turned on the nitrous and pushed them past in this game. But there's still some very real concerns you got to have if you're Scott Frost in Nebraska. He said all the right things in the post game and said, hey, we're, it was a weird week, came back from Ireland and we were sick. And he, he wasn't making excuses, but just sort of explaining, hey, here's a set of circumstances. We got a good football team in that locker room. I told them that we'd rather figure out our mistakes with a win rather than a loss. And so he said all the right things. But I'm sitting here saying, golly, man, the hard count's pulling for you. We're pulling for you to keep your job. I mean, heck, we picked you to win seven games. This is not the kind of formula that's going to win you seven games. I understand they won against North Dakota, but this is not a product on the field right now that's going to get you to that seven win mark. Giving up that much on the ground and getting absolutely deleted from the frame like they did against Northwestern. It's not going to get it done. And I think if we're talking about Nebraska going forward, I wonder how much the external chatter is going to turn up this coming week in Lincoln. Because you got to think, coming back from Ireland after the lost Northwestern, I understand that the locker room tries to put on blinders and, and they try to sort of mute all the outside noise, but there's only so much you can do when you're in a place like Lincoln, Nebraska, who lives and dies by how their Cornhuskers do. It is unavoidable to read the headlines and hear the chatter of, hey, is Scott Frost going to be here? You're looking over your shoulder. If you're Scott Frost saying, are they going to keep me around? All of this uncertainty surrounding your head coach, it just detracts from what's important, and that's the next game. And I wonder how much that played a factor in the psyche of this game. I'm not saying it did. I'm not saying it didn't. I'm just saying I got questions that I think need answers. And this game did nothing to turn that volume knob down at all in these conversations about Scott Frost. It's unfortunate, but that's the reality. Now, I like to think that we are a more positive, more of a bright side kind of show because wherever there's a negative, there's always some sort of positive in there to be found. You want to look at the positives for Nebraska? They found a way to win. 
They responded. They found a way to win. Like I said, they were tied at half, and the human reaction would have been to say, we're tied with North Dakota. What is going on? You start pointing fingers. You start crumbling internally, and you just sort of take your hands off the wheel, and everything goes to the dogs. That wasn't the case for Nebraska. North Dakota pushed them to the third quarter, tied at 17. Nebraska just continued to chip away, continued to dig deep, continued to find a way to get this victory. So I want to make this very clear for Nebraska. There is no such thing as a bad win for this football team. There's such thing as an ugly win, which this absolutely was. But if you're Scott Frost in Nebraska, you are in no position to turn your nose up at W's. I don't care if you're playing FCS West, East, North, South. Does not matter. To win a football game for Scott Frost is a big deal. For this program, it's a big deal. Now, you haven't necessarily validated to yourself who you thought you were in the preseason, but they got a lot of guys in this locker room that weren't there for all the tough things that happened in the previous couple years at Nebraska that still have a lot of confidence about themselves. Casey Thompson being one of them, Trey Palmer being one of them, Anthony Grant, another huge bright side for this program, another guy with a lot of confidence. He ran like a grown man yesterday, 23 carries, 189 yards, two touchdowns. Want to talk about a bright side? That's a bright side. Having a back that can do that, having someone that you can feel like, hey, we, we, we got that right, we hit on that. Number one JUCO running back in the country has translated to the college level and he's doing great things for our program, that's a bright side. I was really encouraged to see more of a push up front offensively for Nebraska. They still got issues in the pass pro and you know we, we can sort that out down the road. And I understand it was North Dakota, but again, you're not in position to be picky with your wins here. So a win's a win. Responded to adversity, but I am very curious to see how does Scott Frost and this program respond to the outside noise. Now, they're no stranger to it, but to have it after a game like North Dakota, it's not a good feeling. A win's a win. Scott Frost and Nebraska press on with Georgia Southern next week. Now, assuming, and this is a big assumption, I'm probably going out on a limb here even assuming this, but the assumption is you should take care of business against Georgia Southern, and you'll have Oklahoma come into town. That's a big game. That is an enormous game. I would hope that Nebraska can circle the wagons and be able to put a solid product on the field together for the Oklahoma game. I'm really, really watching that one. Georgia absolutely body bagged Oregon yesterday. 49-3 to in Atlanta. I said it to open this whole thing up. The game was played in Atlanta. It was a virtual home game for the Dogs. They could have played this game on Mars. They could have played this game in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It wouldn't have mattered. Okay, Georgia was just that much better. Going into this game, I was saying, Bo Nix, what's he going to do? He's got a lot of experience against the dogs. Not a lot of good experience necessarily. But still, he's, he's not going to be new to this whole SEC speed. He's going to be able to play within himself and I think be able to ad-lib. And hey, some new starters for Georgia on defense. What's going to happen there? Is that going to be something that takes a second to ramp up? And looking at what they did defensively, uh, no, did not take a second to ramp up. Now, Kirby Smart, still in the postgame presser, had some things to say. He said had a lot of bend, not break kind of stuff within this defense, meaning we didn't necessarily play super sound defensively. Now, we had a lot of turnovers that we were opportunistic in getting. 
And I understand Kirby Smart being Saban asking that press conference and saying, hey, we still got a lot to take care of. There's still a lot within this football team that's not perfect yet. I understand that. But to play the way they did against your former defensive coordinator, who's now the head coach at Oregon and Dan Lanning, and to have his number and Bo Nix's number, you got to feel good about that. You got to feel good about Georgia showing up in game one where there's a lot of opportunity for complacency after you just won the national title and to roll in there against a Pac-12 team and to do what you did, you have to feel good about that. For Oregon, I don't know that we learned a ton about them, to be honest with you, because the gap was just so wide. And this is not to knock Oregon by any stretch of the imagination. Kirby Smart said in his press conference, he said, Dan Lanning's going to be a really good head coach for Oregon. He's going to do some good things. They're going to bounce back from this. And he actually said this. uh, I want to make sure I get this right, so I'm checking my notes. He basically said, Dan Lanning will never tell you this, but we won today because we got better players. Essentially, Kirby seceding that didn't matter the kind of game that we had, whether you caught us on a mediocre day or our best day. We just got more firepower. We just got the better players, the better athletes, the more stocked cover when it comes to talent. And that was something we talked about before this game. In our preview, we said, we just feel like Georgia outmatches Oregon. Now, I had no idea the gap was this wide. I was, I mean, that is on me, folks. I did not understand that Georgia was going to come out swinging like this. And credit to Todd Munkin on that offense because they were substantially improved, in my opinion, from what they were a year ago. Stetson Bennett had a career day passing the football, had a career high in yards, no interceptions, ball barely touched the ground. Like, he was really efficient, and he's progressing. He's continuing to progress based on one game. So I don't want to blow this out of proportion, but Stetson Bennett just continues to look better and better as that starter at Georgia. We're going to see what he looks like against some more SEC competition. Again, I don't know that we learned too much about the Georgia offense based on this defense, but they looked really, really solid in one game sample size. You got to feel encouraged. One thing that was interesting to me, Georgia's leading rusher had eight carries. And that's not to say that he had eight carries and was averaging like 20 yards a carry. They just didn't really try to run the football that much. They just were content to drop back and throw it around. And with Stetson Bennett having the day he did, it's hard to blame him. But it was interesting to see Georgia take that approach. Because when we think about Georgia, you think, okay, they're going to turn around, hand the ball to that running back, let Stetson manage the game. That wasn't Georgia. That wasn't the Bulldog team that I saw. There was no game management from Stetson Bennett. Georgia slung it around. And I know we've seen spurts of that from them, but to see them do that in the first game of the year, typically you'd see them maybe forced to do that. Okay, we're going to try the run, and the run's not going so well, so we'll kind of evolve here offensively. I said this before the year started. I think Georgia, to get back to where they want to be, which is in that college football playoff, they need to have that kind of a wide-open system on offense. A.D. Mitchell looked good. Lad McConkey looked good. Darnell Washington is from another planet. Brock Bowers, we already know about him. He's the best tight end in college football as a true sophomore. So there's a lot to be excited about, and you're continuing to see this Georgia offense progress and the defense. Even though Kirby wasn't crazy thrilled about what they did, there's still a lot to be excited about. That team speed is fierce. Again, going back to Oregon, There's not a ton to draw from this just because of 
the dominance from Georgia. I think they're going to be fine. I think they're still going to be seven, eight win football team in the Pac-12. But for Kirby to talk about Georgia the way he did after this game and said, no, we're not listening to the external stuff. We still have a lot we want to do. And he said, we're still hunting. We're still hunting. We will always be still hunting. They're on a mission. Very Saban-esque from Kirby in the postgame presser. But again, Georgia wins that football game 49-3, to dominant fashion in Atlanta. I mean, really, that was, that was just brutal to watch. Josh Newberg and I jumped in spaces, Twitter spaces, that is, around mid-fourth quarter, and I had two screens going. I had the, the JV screen, like the, the second game, more or less, that I'm keeping an eye on, that main game I'm watching on the main screen on my television. And Georgia-Oregon started out in the main screen, kind of became a blowout, moved to the JV screen. The blowout got worse. Folks, we took it off the screen completely. That's how bad it got. And Josh Newberg and I are, are in spaces talking about, hey, are you watching the Georgia game right now? No, me neither. Absolutely brutal. Absolutely emphatic victory by Georgia. We, we liked them to cover that 17, but to not think they'd cover in that fashion. I would not have taken them to cover 46 points just so we're all on the same page. Florida has an enormous victory at home against number seven ranked Utah, 29-26. The swamp was rocking. It was the monsoon bowl, the humidity bowl, whatever you want to call it. The weather had an enormous impact on this game. It looked like for both teams throwing the ball downfield. But wow, what an instant classic. It was back and forth. Both teams just trading haymakers. Body blows the whole nine yards. You had a night game in, in the swamp going into the fourth quarter. Like in terms of the atmosphere that you would ask for in a college football game, this one checked off all the boxes. And it was a phenomenal game. I want to make sure we touch on this because the assumption or the knee-jerk reaction will be to say, well, Utah was overrated, lost to an unranked Florida team. Hey, we were wrong about Utah, folks. Everybody that picked them to be in the playoff, golly, they sure feel dumb right now. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Folks, we weren't wrong about Utah. Utah went into the swamp, which is one of the toughest places to play in all of the country and gave you excuse me and gave Florida absolutely all that they could handle. They had a chance to tie that game and if they don't throw the interception, kick a field goal center to OT, we got free football. Utah pushed Florida to the absolute limit, a talented Florida team to the absolute limit. And so we aren't wrong on Utah. Utah's probably still going to win the Pac-12. I would assume at least be playing for the Pac-12. We just were unaware about Florida. We were unaware as to how good this Florida team is capable of being. Utah still ran for 230 yards. Still got question marks about Florida's defense. I still have question marks about what they're going to do in the interior of that defensive line from a depth perspective. You got Dexter and who else? That's got to be shored up. Utah was still very tough defensively. Forced two fumbles, recovered one. To start the game, I mean, Florida was really fortunate to jump on that second one. Florida still found a way to push through. Florida found a way to respond and throw another punch back. What was the difference in the game, you ask? Well, we actually told you in our preview, if Florida were to win this game, it's got to be because they have that ace up their sleeve. 
And that ace wears number 15. His name is Anthony Richardson. And he is a certified dude. Because we had some question marks around him going into this game. Actually, everybody in the country did because you hadn't seen a ton of him. The sample size was pretty small. You saw him in limited action a year ago. He's trading snaps with Emory Jones. There were times where he would force the football downfield and it'd be intercepted. And you're like, wow, does he have decision-making issues? We know he's a freak athlete, but how is he as a quarterback? Folks, when I tell you that Superman wears Anthony Richardson pajamas, I am not exaggerating. What he did last night was nothing short of game-breaking. Florida does not win that football game if Anthony Richardson is not on their sideline. He made stupid plays, plays that no human being should be able to make. I mean, stupid in the best sense of the word. Think back to that two-point conversion. Rolls out, pump fakes. He jump pump fakes, spins around, throws the defender for an absolute loop. He's on an and one hoop mixtape, delivers the football for the two-point conversion. I mean, the things that he did last night were nothing short of legendary. I mean, they're going to talk about that game in the swamp for a long time. When top 10 ranked Utah came to town and Florida found a way to get it done in the first game of the Billy Napier era. Now, what does this mean for Florida going forward? Well, as long as you got Anthony Richardson, you got a chance in every game. You have a chance in every single game going forward because of what that cat can do for you. Now, does he have room to improve? Absolutely. Throwing the ball downfield, I want to see more of that. He's good intermediate, 10 to 12 yards. Probably some of that has to do with the wet ball last night as nobody could really get a grip on it. We saw Cam Rising, who's usually a really efficient quarterback for Utah. He missed on some throws that were uncharacteristic. I would imagine that's due to the humidity and the difficult conditions of, of, of gripping the football. But to be able to take over the game like he did for Anthony Richardson, 11 carries, over 100 yards, three touchdowns. So, so impressive. And again, I think there needs to be more from other players on this football team for him. You got to feel encouraged if you're talking about the running back depth at Florida from Montreal Johnson to Wright to Etienne. I mean, th there was a lot of guys that did good things last night. And I know they weren't thrilled with ball security, but there's a lot of things to be excited about going forward for Florida. But other pieces have to step up to the plate for them to get to where they want to go. Because Anthony Richardson, for all the great things he did last night, you can't ask him to do that every single week. You can't ask for over 100 yards rushing, three touchdowns, and a couple of those game-breaking plays. Football is the most imperfect sport in the world, and that's why it's beautiful. That's why we love it. There's going to be games where Anthony Richardson just may not have the exact same juice he had in this game. And that's okay. That's why it's the best team sport in the world, because you need your teammates to pick you up. So this is a long way of saying on offense, I want to see more from Florida. On defense, Ben don't break, baby. Ben don't break. I mean, they sealed the deal there at the very end. Game-winning interception by Bernie. I mean, that was huge. Talk about a weekend at Bernie's. You kidding me? Some of you get that. Some of you don't. That's fine. All that's to say, for Florida to win a game like this in the first game under Billy Napier, it shows incredible maturity. How far along are we in the Billy Napier era to where you can beat a top 10 team like this? And this is not to knock Dan Mullen, but last year's Florida team, 
has no business even being in this game. Last year's Florida team would have folded. And I saw a lot of competitive maturity from Florida, which was encouraging to me. I saw Utah right away, right, right off the bat, they recover that fumble. Momentum swings back towards Utah. What does Florida do? They just respond, come right back and score. Utah drives down the field after a big touchdown by Florida, and they have like a minute and a half to drive the field. They drive the field, and what do we see from Florida? Ben, don't break. Interception at the goal line, win the game. The competitive maturity to never panic, to never go, woe is me, that's huge. That's huge. That's a sign of mature teams. And for Billy Napier in his first game to already see some sample size of that, I don't think that can be overstated. We were high on Florida before the year started. I didn't think they'd beat Utah. We're still high on the Gators. And I'm excited to see what they do the rest of the way. Now, it doesn't get any easier for them. Kentucky comes to town. So we're going to find out more about them and how do they bounce back? How do they respond after a big win? How do they get themselves together and sort of not get too high off that win? And do they have the Utah hangover when Kentucky comes to town? We'll see. But as long as Billy Napier is the man, I don't think we're going to see a drop off in focus from this program. So a lot of room to get better for Florida, obviously, but to trade punches with a team like Utah, a team who is the definition of mature, the definition of knowing their identity, 17 of 22 starters back from a year ago that played for a Rose Bowl. Kyle Whittingham built a program there, not just a team, a program to go four quarters with them and to win it in the way they did. A lot of excitement in Gainesville, and for good reason. How about the Gators, man? That was awesome. That was absolutely awesome. I mean, we, we had friends that were at that game, and to be in Gainesville that night is something that they will take with them for the rest of their lives. Very, very cool. Arkansas beat Cincinnati 31-24, to and we got to unpack this a little bit because Arkansas and Cincinnati did absolutely gladiator-style, knockdown, drag-out, fight-to-the-death kind of football game in Fayetteville. And there's a lot to take away from this. Arkansas ran the bell really effectively. Over 200 yards on the ground. KJ Jefferson looked like he was cramping up a little bit, found a way to push through. But credit Cincinnati because everybody in the country kind of dismissed them. Kind of said, okay, well, you lost a lot of NFL talent. What are you going to do for an encore? Got to go on the road to play an SEC team? Good luck. Arkansas by 100. As long as Luke Fickle's the guy at Cincinnati, that's not going to be the case for them in any game that they walk into. Now, you could tell that they were still sort of getting their bearings about them was Cincinnati, but there was a lot to be encouraged about from both teams. There's no, there's no moral victories in this sport. I want to make that clear, but there's a lot to be excited about for both teams. We'll start with Cincinnati. They're not taking a step back in the, in the AAC. In the American Athletic Conference, they are not taking any steps back. I would 100% expect them to at least play for that title. Will they win it? We'll see. I think UCF's pretty good too. But for Cincinnati to go on the road after that playoff hangover with a new set of faces, a new quarterback, and Ben Bryant to throw for over 300 yards the way they did against a really good Arkansas team, a tough Arkansas team, in those conditions, you got to feel encouraged. You got to feel like, okay, we have something to build off of from this. We're not a fluke. We're not a flash in the pan. We're a good football team, and we proved it to the rest of the country. Because there were multiple occasions where Cincinnati could have rolled over and said, all right, that's it for us. <sighs> hey, 
We put on a good showing. You saw it. You saw it. Everybody saw it. We tried our best. Okay. All right. We're done. Was 21-7 at one point in favor of Arkansas. Was 31-17 at one point in favor of Arkansas. And Cincinnati refused to go quietly into that good night. Now, for Arkansas, you can flip the page and say the exact same thing. For them to win a gritty game like that, a resilient game like that, where people are cramping up, you're banged up in the secondary, you don't have your best day in the secondary, front seven looks good, but you don't necessarily have your best day defensively, and to win a game like that, to me, this just says for Arkansas, the formula still works. What we do here, what we've been doing here, it's still intact. Yes, there's new faces on the outside. Yes, we got some new people in this building. But what we do here, the bread and butter, is still effective. Like we talked about, had to continue to score points and and stave off a pesky Cincinnati team, a resilient Cincinnati team. And for them to be able to push through that and continue to put up points, continue to play their game, have no panic, have a cool hand, that told me a lot about this program and the maturity of this program. Because we were high in Arkansas. We're still high in Arkansas, obviously. We'll pick. But for Sam Pittman to be able to, to get a win like this against a playoff team in Cincinnati a year ago, that's a very, very big deal. The most telling piece of this to me was at the end of the game. Arkansas gets the football. I think there's about... A little under six minutes left to go, and they don't give it back. They did not give the football back. They ran the clock out for six minutes. That is attitude, that is preparation, and that is composure. All three of those things that Arkansas put on display in full effect with KJ Jefferson leading the charge there, very impressive by Arkansas. Now, we still think they're a 9-10 win football team, but winning a game like this should tell you a lot about them going forward. So ultimately, the toughness and the experience of Arkansas is, I think, what played out. And we said it before in our preview. I keep going back to that. Our previews, our previews, our previews. In our preview for Arkansas-Cincinnati, we just said, hey, I think the physicality of Arkansas and we think the human beings and the size of those human beings for Arkansas is going to eventually be enough to win this game. Now, Trey Knox had a phenomenal game had a lot of those spark plays that you need to replace from a Traylon Burks. They looked a little bit different in nature. They weren't so much the -the over-the-top deep pass, but he still replaced some production that you're going to need to get from somewhere on this offense for them to be successful. So all that's to say, Arkansas found a way to get it done in week one. Sam Pittman said there's a lot to clean up. There's a lot to figure out, but we'd much rather figure it out with a win rather than a loss. Needless to say, I think Cincinnati brought both liquor and iced tea to the party, gave Arkansas all that could handle, but Woo Pig finds a way to get it done. Speaking of finding ways to get it done, Ohio State beats Notre Dame 21-10 at the shoe. And I mean, I'm speechless. I am speechless. There was so much about this game that I think you can draw from for both teams. Because for Notre Dame, we said in our preview, I need to find a way to X-nay that out of my vocabulary. If Notre Dame throws the first punch, it's going to be a game. And well, what do you know? At half, it's 10-7 Irish. <laughs> that, that punch was landed by Notre Dame. They threw that first punch, and Ohio State just sort of wobbles. Credit to them. They collected themselves, they gathered themselves, and they found a way to win this football game. 
Jackson Smith and Jigba goes out of the game early, and you could tell for Ohio State that threw them off balance. They were in second gear offensively. Never usually in, I mean, usually they're in that third or fourth gear, normally just going pedal to the metal, and they weren't able to really find that rhythm like they wanted to without Jackson Smith and Jigba on the field. And Ryan Day in his post-game press conference almost seemed to relish in the fact they were able to win this game tough. Because you know Ohio State was hearing it all offseason. Ohio State's not that tough. Ohio State, yeah, a lot of talent. What do they have outside of that? Ryan Day said, we wanted to prove that we're more than just talented. We're gritty. And folks, 21 points from this Ohio State offense, this all-world Ohio State offense, I understand no JSN, but still, they didn't have a game where they scored 21 points last year. I mean, they scored more than 21 in every single game a year ago, including their losses. And for the defense to hold Marcus Freeman and Tyler Buckner and Michael Mayer to 10 points, enormous victory for Ohio State to get it done in the fashion they did. Now, looking at Notre Dame for a second, we got to acknowledge some things about Notre Dame. Everyone was talking about, hey, they're number five in the country. Is that too high? Hey, if, if Ohio State just absolutely blows them out at home like we think they're capable of doing, how much does that say about the ranking system and, and what's wrong at Notre Dame? And Notre Dame just walked in there, made it very clear they don't care about the spread. They don't care about the horseshoe. They don't care about all these things that are supposedly being planned at Ohio State with going to the playoff and playing for the national title. They came in there and gave Ohio State all that they could handle was really impressed by the way they executed their game plan. With Tyler Buckner playing efficient football, was he a game-breaker? No, but he managed the game well. They didn't necessarily get all they needed to get on offense, but to be able to slow the game down, keep C.J. Stroud on the sideline for the majority of it, and to control the tempo of that game, that was huge. That was what they needed to do going in to be able to get it done. Now, ultimately, Ohio State just countered with the exact right jab. Because Notre Dame threw that nasty right hook. And like we said, we saw Ohio State wobble a little bit. They were not themselves. And for them to be able to win ugly, I think says a lot about Ohio State going forward the rest of the year. Because last year, this Ohio State team probably loses this game, if we're being honest. They probably don't have the grit and toughness up front to withstand what Notre Dame was bringing with the run game, with the offensive line. They probably don't have the ability to withstand that, if we're being 100% honest with right. I mean, right now, that's probably the reality. For Ohio State to win ugly sends a message to the rest of the college football world. More importantly, sends a message to themselves, proves it to themselves that, hey, if we don't have it on a certain day offensively, we can lean on the defense. They didn't have that luxury a year ago. We can lean on the defense. Mike Hall played phenomenal. He was all over the place last night. And then they ran the ball really well, too. Ohio State was able to turn and hand the ball to their backs to eventually win that game on the final drive. That's what sealed the deal was the run game. Wasn't C.J. Stroud going over the top to Jackson Smith? Wasn't C.J. Stroud going deep to Emeka Egbuka, who did have a huge game, by the way. He's going to be a stud for them. Surprise, surprise, Ohio State has another good wide receiver. For them to be able to win up front and win tough, it's a very big deal. It's a very big deal because they will have to do it the rest of the way. 
They will have to find themselves in another game that they win because they won ugly. Credit to Ryan Day. Credit to Jim Knowles for walking in and revamping this defense in the way they did. They've always had talent. They've always had four and five stars all over this defense. But to be able to get everybody on the same page so early in the year, this is a complex defense to learn. For Jim Knowles to get the defense headed the right direction is another really encouraging sign for Ohio State. So people were ready to say, is Notre Dame overrated? No. Notre Dame is a good football team. Notre Dame is a legit football team. They're going to win a lot of games. I still think they're a nine-win football team. I feel a lot more confident saying that after last night. Both programs are going to be really, really good, but that was a lot of fun to watch. Didn't necessarily go the way that I think a lot of us thought it would, but 21-10, Ohio State gets it done at home. Ryan Day and company win ugly. It's just the way they like it. Golly, golly, college football is so back. It's so back, it's crazy. And we got more games here in a couple of hours. We got LSU, Florida State in NOLA. We already have our preview out on that. Go and check that out. We got Georgia Tech in Clemson playing on Monday night. So we are here and we ain't going nowhere. Okay, the hard count is rolling. College football is rolling. We want you a part of it. So subscribe to the channel. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at JD Pekelton. Stay up with every single thing we're doing here. I love this. I love that we're back. I love that you're tuned in with us. We're going to keep the party rolling. We will see y'all next time.